All right, we are in uh, Exodus chapter 8. This is plagues 2, 3, and 4. Um, last week we covered the first plague, the plague of the Nile turning to blood. Um, let me just do a very, very, very quick review because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, the purpose of the book of Exodus is for the nation of Israel, it's for them to begin to get to know their God. And for us, it's so we don't make the same type of mistakes that they made. Also for us to get to know our God. Uh, there's an interesting passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which where Paul uses the Israelites as, and especially them coming out of Egypt, uh, to warn us not to make the same type of mistakes that they made. So when you study uh, Exodus, we're looking at um, a people that God is molding into his own people, and they make mistakes. They're maturing, they're becoming his people. So in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting really at the beginning, it talks about how they were all baptized into Moses. They all went through the Red Sea. And then in verse 6, it says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drank and rose up to play. Well, every culture has trouble with idolatry. We may not think we do, but John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. It constantly makes idols. It might be money, it might be fame, it might be intellect, it might be whatever it is that we put as a substitute for God in our lives. Um, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Um, and when they grumbled and we are not to be grumblers and so on. So the book of Exodus applies to us, but it also as we see God being revealed in terms of who he is. Because the Israelites understood the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they had no personal experience with God themselves. And that as Moses begins to meet God, we begin to see characteristics of God. Most, the first one that's brought out in, in the book of Exodus is that he is a covenant-keeping God. He made promises and he keeps those promises. And he does it by acting unilaterally. He sees their oppression. He comes down to them. He devises a plan. He does all of the work the himself. And, and he leads them out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Uh, we see his holiness, that God is a holy God. And in the plagues, we see that God is a God who judges. This is sort of out of step with modern sensibilities, that God would be a God who judges, especially a God who judges nations. But he does, and God never backs off from that. He is a, a God who judges. So we come to the plagues. Last week, we caught to the first plague, and Exodus gives us a rationale for the plague. Anybody remember? Why are the plagues from last week? Why do we have God inflicting plagues on the people of Israel, uh, people of Egypt? Well, people of Israel at the beginning, too, and then it's people of Egypt after that. Yeah, um, in Exodus 12, it says that he is judging the gods of Egypt. 
Um, by the way, by extension, also Pharaoh, who is one of the gods of Egypt, and the priests who serve those gods. And there's an attack on this entire religious system. Of course, there actually are no gods of Egypt, right? <laughs> there's only one god. So there are no gods of Egypt, but it's attack on what they thought were their gods. Okay? What's the other purpose? Exactly. And, and you guys have the two that kind of, uh, th there, there's two other reasons, we'll, but since you jumped to the end, the two of you jumped to the end of it. The first one is to bring Israel out of the land. That's the purpose of the plagues. But God could do that a bunch of different ways, right? I mean, he could, we saw him do it uh, later in history with uh, Cyrus, who simply says to the people of Israel after the Babylonian captivity, go home. And not only that, I'll build your temple for you. God could move the heart of the king to do whatever he wants, but he chooses not to in this case because there's a, a bigger purpose. He, he wants to bring the people of Israel out of the land. He is judging the nation of, of Egypt for their enslavement of the Israelites, and he states that in chapter, three, uh, chapter 7. But in chapter 7, if you go to verse 5, it says... Um, in fact, let's, let's read uh, verse 4 and 5. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, or bring my hosts, my people of the children of Israel, out of the e land of Egypt by great acts of judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. The plagues are a severe mercy. The people of Egypt are worshiping the wrong gods. And when the Israelites leave, they will know that there is one true God. And that is Yahweh, the God of the people of Egypt, a God of the people of Israel. Um, last week we saw the plague of the Nile turning to blood. Um, that particular plague is an attack on the gods of Egypt, a full frontal assault. We looked at at least seven gods of Egypt who are directly related to the Nile. There's four gods that were associated with the Nile itself. One, um, Osiris, who his bloodstream was the Nile. So here's this pure water of the god, and it turns into human blood. And there was a god of the source of the Nile who protected the Nile. And there was a god of the essence of the Nile and a goddess of the Nile. And there were gods who took care of the animals in the Nile, fish and crocodiles. And, and all of these animals are dying because of the, because of the Nile turning to blood. Uh, jump to chapter 7, uh, verse 22, because there's two things I want to point out. And then we're going to get into today's plagues. Well, not today's plagues. The plagues we'll study today. Hopefully we don't have these plagues. Uh, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. Isn't that an amazing thing? You want a bad king? The people, the Nile is blood. The fish are dying. The people are digging to get water around the Nile. By the way, Alan Cade last week pointed out that because of the viscosity of blood, it would not have percolated down into the soil. So the water table would have been fine. So it's nice to have a, 
hydraulic engineer in here to explain <laughs> that to us. Um, so the, the water underneath is still fine, and he digs, and he gets the, their get, and what is Pharaoh's response? I don't care. He should be concerned about his people if he's a good ruler. He's not concerned at all about his people. Um, verse 29, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Uh, there was no warning as to how long this plague was going to last. One day, two days, three days. Do you understand what the people of Egypt are thinking? When is this going to end? We can put up with a lot of things if we know what the ending time is. But if you don't know when it's going to end, it's debilitating. And they're looking at it's gone on for a full week. God, in his mercy, changes it back, uh, puts the water of the Nile back to, to water. And that brings us then to the second plague, plague of the frogs, which I've always thought is the most playful of the plagues. Uh, I don't know if the people thought that, but to me, it just seems... I mean, if you got to plague somebody, frogs just don't seem, I mean, snakes maybe, but frogs are just frogs. But um, all right, anyway, let's, let's go ahead and read it and we'll then work through the other two as well. We'll have to move pretty quick. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, chapter eight, verse one, and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all, on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hands with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt or on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am, to I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow. Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh. Remember Pharaoh said, I don't know your God. Now as you will know that I am Yahweh, our God, the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people, they shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So we begin with the plague of the second plague, plague of the frogs. Pharaoh is given warning. I told you I was gonna turn the Nile to blood, I did. It's not a one and done. Now it's time to uh, do a second plague, the plague of the frogs. Um, 
Like I said, I, I kind of like frogs. I grew up in the city. I don't know, some of you may really dislike frogs, but I always got a kick out of frogs. They cute, sort of, in an otherworldly way. And as a little boy, I mean, even now, when there's a toad in the backyard, or sometimes a frog will end up in the backyard, I enjoy watching it hop around, you know? Um, yeah, Matt. Uh, sorry, but I was just kind of going to say, understanding the significance of the plague of frogs, you got to understand a little bit about Egyptian culture. Frogs are basically considered a very sacred thing. I, from what I understand, almost on par with the Nile. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to get to that yeah. in a second. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, the, the, and, and you're exactly right. In, in Egyptian culture, the Nile was, uh, the frogs were considered, um, they were an important animal. They represented um, fertility. They represented that which was good. Uh, there was a god of the frogs, actually a goddess. The goddess was, and I can't pronounce it well, it's H-E-Q-T. So what would you say? Hegat? Okay, I'm going to say Hegat because I can't do that. All right, Hegat. Um, Hegat was the god, goddess of whose theophany was the, the frog. Um, the frog, see, the, the Nile would flood and it would... Um, cover the land with water that's where they got their silt and made such fertile grounds and as it's withdrawing that's when the frogs would come so the frogs represented this cycle of rebirth and fertility and and to the people of Egypt they were an important animal um, there were um, like you said the culture is important there were eight primeval gods in Egyptian culture uh, four of them were represented as as humans with frog heads and they, um, they personified water, infinity, darkness, and that which is hidden. But they all existed in a time before there was any evil in the world. So the frog was this symbol of innocence. It was a symbol of rebirth. It was a symbol of fertility. It was a symbol of all that was good. And, and they worshiped the frog. If you killed a frog, um, intentionally, the sentence was death. If you killed a frog unintentionally, you could still be put to death for that, but maybe they would listen to you. You know, you accidentally killed a frog. So to us, frogs are just a nice little animal in the river, but to them, this is a big deal. So what does this plague do? That which was considered good and holy and special, God just intensifies it beyond all comprehension right? There's frogs everywhere. We catch it. Where's the frogs? In your bed? On you, right? And in your kneading bowl, for crying out loud, you go to make bread and there's frogs in there. So hold on, Matt. Hold on, Matt. Let me, let me read this to you because I always thought this was kind of interesting. These are some people who are much more poetic than I am um, talking about uh, the, the frogs here. Like a blanket of filth, the slimy, wet monstrosities covered the land until men sickened of the continual squashing crunch of the ghastly pavement they were forced to walk upon. Right? There's frogs everywhere. How do you walk without stepping on a frog, especially if they're jumping around? 
If a man's feet slipped on the greasy mass of their crushed bodies, he fell into an indescribably offensive mass of putrid uncleanness. And when he sought water to cleanse himself, the water was so solid with frogs, he got no cleansing there. Right? See, it's, it's, it's playful, but it's also really, really gross, okay? Um, this one, this, again, these people are just poetic in the way they write, so that's why I do it. Small green peepers, no larger than locusts, distended toads, the color of excrement, mottled frogs like bloated vegetation, frogs that were lumps of bronze, frogs with eyes of unblinking demons, frogs subtler than salamanders, frog uh, motionless, frogs that leaped into the laps of screaming children, wart breeding frogs, frogs like droppings of mud, Frogs trailing their slime after them, flying frogs that built nests in the high reeds, frogs that died and bred death. Once again, the sacred Nile was the source of pollution. And so it, it's an interesting plague. Uh, you think about what it would do with all those frogs, and then, and then Moses says, okay, no more frogs, and they don't just hop away into the Nile, they just all die. So now what do you do? You have to go through your house and keep finding them everywhere and pulling them out and making big piles that are stinking. But again, this is an attack on the gods of Egypt. Where was Heget? Why couldn't she do this? And why was that which was good and sacred and wonderful to the Egyptians no longer good and wonderful? Every single Egyptian probably killed a few frogs or a dozen frogs during that time. The frog god is not up to the, the standards of Yahweh. Now, a couple of things in here as you go through it. Um, Pharaoh is given an opportunity to prevent the plague. Um, the magicians do the same thing. You know what would have been really useful for the magicians to have done? Made them go away. Yeah, you've got frogs everywhere and they create a couple more frogs. It's like, well, that, well, that seems kind of uh, stupid. They did the same thing with the Nile to blood, but, but this time Pharaoh is not unconcerned. This time Pharaoh says something has to happen. So he calls Moses in, um, brings Moses back in, and, and Moses, he agrees to let Moses and the people go. Why does Moses, why do you think, give Mo uh, Pharaoh the opportunity to, to choose the day. Well, actually, he says that. And why does Pharaoh wait until tomorrow? If you were the king, wouldn't you say, now? Just get the frogs out of here right now. But he waits until tomorrow. Anyway, why does he wait until tomorrow? Rod? Pride. He doesn't want, he doesn't well, but Moses gives him that privilege. He says, you get to choose. So why does he say, why does he go tomorrow, April? Maybe they would go away for other reasons. Yeah, may, maybe just out of, maybe the, they'll, they'll go away. The priests have to be praying and working, and right? And maybe, maybe they're hoping that the frogs go away and Yahweh will not get the glory for it. But that's what, that's what we're told is that Moses says, be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like Yahweh. And you always keep going back. Pharaoh said, I do not know Yahweh and I will not obey him. Okay, you don't know Yahweh, here's Yahweh. Mm -hmm. He turns your Nile into blood. He fills your lands with frogs. All right, you still don't know Yahweh? 
give Yahweh the time and the frogs will disappear right when he tells, right when he decides. When you decide and he'll do it for you. So a couple other comments, Darla. Oh, okay. So pride in the sense of... Okay, very good. All right. And then we see Mos- uh, uh, Pharaoh um, hardening his heart. He made a promise. He doesn't keep his promise. It tells us who Pharaoh is. So let's move on to the second plague, a third plague, the plague of the gnats. This is an interesting one. There's no warning for it. Pharaoh has nothing to do with it. It doesn't even seem like they talked with Pharaoh, which is very unusual. And um, it's the first of the plagues that magicians cannot duplicate, um, which is kind of interesting as well. And we're not told when the plague ends. So it had to have ended, but we, we don't have that. So it's the plague of the gnats. Says, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all of the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, and the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret art to produce gnats, but they could not, so there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if my, my Bible says life, if it was just specifically reserved for um, the Egyptians or the Israelites. No, the, the first distinction will take place next. In the, four, in the fourth, um, fourth plague is when God says, I'll draw a distinction between my people. And from that point on, it's only the Egyptians. So we assume the Israelites suffered this plague as well. And the word lice is probably a mistranslation. Um, the, the, that was introduced by Josephus many, many years later and then was picked up by the writers of the Septuagint. But um, gnat, um, it, what it is, is it is a small stinging insect. Okay? In Egypt, they have a gnat that is so small you can hardly see it with the naked eye. Okay? Our gnats are a little bit bigger and it stings. Okay, um, <laughs> that's really bad. Or this could be a mosquito. So I have a mosquito story. Some of you do too. We used to go backpacking all the time. And backpacking is beautiful from the pictures, but you know what you don't see in the pictures? Mosquitoes. We went out of, of um, either Huntington or Edison Lake, I can't remember. Um, but up over the pass, and there's a meadow there called Graveyard Meadows. And as we went into Grave, I was with my two buddies, Jim and Paul, and we're, we're hiking through first day because we stopped at the lake and went over, and there's this beautiful meadow. We said, why do they call it Graveyard Meadows? Because it looked like it had been manicured, like a, like a graveyard. Um, and it was long, maybe 500 yards long for a, a Sierra meadow, it's a long meadow. We stepped into that meadow and a cloud of mosquitoes rose. 
you could, you, it, it was almost black with mosquitoes. We fortunately had long sleeves on, but your face is exposed, your hands are exposed, and they can bite through a shirt. So we're doing this, right? I mean, it was, you went into this pattern where you went like this as we're walking. I remember looking at the uh, backpack of the boy, uh, the guy in front of me, totally covered, black with mosquitoes. And we started running full packs. It was like, we're gonna die in here. So we started running. But, but um, it, there's, there's a sense of panic that actually comes about because of that. Uh, I'm, some of you have felt that before. I, I remember being in a pile where gnats are all around and even ones that don't sting, those little boogers keep flying into your eyes and you keep breathing them in and they fly into your mouth and they fly into your ears. And before long for me, there's just a sense of, I have to get out of these flies, right? This is not just a few gnats. This is the, like the dust. There's clouds of gnats that are rising. This is a horrific plague, okay? Nobody's dying from this plague, but man, this is a bad plague. And I'm so sure a lot of you, in fact, look like Gail had a story about gnats. Yeah, and it is a biting gnat, and it's a very, very tiny gnat in, in Egypt. So uh, now, the question is, is there a god associated with the gnat? Well, no, there isn't. But the Egyptians, their religious culture, all dealt with physical purity. Not sexual purity, physical cleanliness, I should have said. Um, the Egyptians were very, very clean people, and the priests were ritually clean. Um, you, and you think of Egyptians, do you think of them as having hair? Not much, right? I mean, you think of Yul Brenner, wasn't he, uh, right? That, that's actually not a bad picture. The priests were shaved. They were, um, they, they were shaved over every, every day they shaved their body. And they bathed multiple times a day and they changed their clothes multiple times a day. They were physically clean. They would go into the gods, this is bizarre to us. Their job as priests was to go into the gods in the morning, into the temple, wake the god up, get the god dressed, feed him breakfast, and through the day attend to his needs. But they could only do that if they were clean. Well, now they are covered in gnats. <laughs> they're covered in sores. They're covered, they're unclean. So for as long as this goes on, the priestly class is under attack, as are the rest of the people. They cannot continue to do their job. They can't function as priests in the land of Egypt because they're not clean. And, and to the rest of the people, all Egyptians were very clean. In fact, that's part of the reason I think they didn't really like the Hebrews, right? The Hebrews, we think of them as real bushy beards and hairy people, and that's just the Egyptians was gross because it didn't represent cleanliness to them. Um, the interesting thing here is that the magicians try and cannot reproduce this miracle. So we had a, 
a spirited discussion last week. We had all sorts of different ideas about the different, uh, where the miracles are coming from. Are them, is it sleight of hand that allows them to turn their snakes, their rods into snakes and their, the water into blood and the um, whatever they turned into frogs? Or is this some sort of a miracle that they're doing? Uh, the impression here is that the magicians are actually surprised that they're not able to make gnats. That, that's kind of the intent of the text, that they, they went and they tried. So they did their secret arts and they tried to make this happen and it doesn't happen. Um, and so I may have changed my viewpoint a little bit. I almost wonder if God isn't allowing them to recreate these miracles, sort of toying with them a little bit. Maybe just kind of like when you, you know, when you, when you play checkers with a little kid, you let them take a few moves, right? Some of you let them win the whole game, but I think that's wrong. You gotta, you gotta beat them to let them know who's boss, but, but you let them get a few moves, just, just so that they want to keep playing, almost. And, and God, I think, helped them. But, and then they went to do the gnats, and they said, we can't do this one. This, this must really be from God, because that's the implication. We can't recreate it. This is something different than what we're able to do. So, yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough there. I also kind of wonder if the plague of gnats was really the Lord's answer to Pharaoh's rejection. Because you said yourself, Moses gave no warning to Pharaoh. He just, the Lord just comes to him and says, strike your staff on the ground, and the ground will turn to dust, the ground will turn to gnats. Yeah. I can't help but wonder if God, if that was the Lord saying, okay, you want to play hardball? Here you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I talked with you before, and you, you said no, so this time I'll do it without you. But again, attack on the people of Egypt, and I think a much more serious plague than, than we think. I think the, the psychological, the psyche of Egypt is now being really rocked. The Nile, then we have the frogs, now we have this plague of gnats, and and when is this all going to end? And unfortunately, not for a long time because Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart and God keeps, keeps hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. Is this an example of what uh, uh, man can experience here on earth uh, if he doesn't have a war and he's condemned into hell? And that uh, when you get to hell, there's going to be suffering and, and you wish to die and be reprieved from it and you'll never experience that, you're going to live in the suffering forever, and all of a sudden you've got people in, with gnats or frogs or, or the plague, or, I mean the blood of the Nile, that, you know, if you're suffering with that, you can't get rid of it, you can't die, you can't just uh, escape it, yeah. you got to just stay there and endure the... Yeah, it's, that's a sobering, sobering thought that it's a picture of, but uh, the, of of what it is to be without God. Yeah. Okay, we don't have much time, but let's, let's look at the last plague, at least read through it. The last plague is the plague of the flies, which seems very, very similar to the gnats, um, but introduces some, well, you know what? That's pretty long. Um, I think we'll, I thought we'd get through th all four, uh, three of the plagues, but we'll try and go through more of them next week. Um, anyways, so that is, that is the plagues. And again, there's lessons, there's lessons here for us. But in the plagues, as we're going through it, we're really talking about God's 
judging. He's willing to judge people, that he is powerful. And yet, at the same time, come back on all of these. These are people whose entire life is, is devoted to serving that which are not gods. They're, they're worshiping frogs. They're worshiping the Nile. They have priests who can be the most wicked people in the world, but as long as they're clean on the outside, they're able to serve their gods. And, and God is attacking each one of those premises. Um, you, can, you can argue that God is willing to do these things because he is destroying their belief in false gods so that they may have the opportunity of putting their faith in the true God. And I had it written down on another page, and I don't have it, but there's prophecies, I believe it's in Isaiah, that at the end of the age, the Egyptians will worship with the Israelites, that Egypt will be returned to the Lord, that this false system of worship has to be crushed, and has to be crushed in a way that they understand that these are not gods. And the Israelites need to learn that, and we need to learn that as well. There is no other God but our God. Only our God is, is capable of doing these type of things. Yeah, But uh, to me, it's, I go back to the phrase, there's a book that I read years ago uh, by a, a man who lost his wife, and after going through the whole grieving process, wrote a book, and the book was called A Severe Mercy. This is a severe mercy. We see it as a plague, a judgment, but judgment is merciful when it leads people back to repentance. And we don't know if there were Egyptians who worshiped Yahweh after that, but my guess is there were some who were smart enough to, or moved enough to be able to say, these Egyptian gods are not, are not gods. They do not compare to Yahweh and began worshiping Yahweh. understand the Egyptian culture, when you when you really understand what you're about, you realize these people were the very epitome of worldly living, and look where that got them. Yeah. The, uh, it's just kind of, the, it's just kind of the Lord saying, living like the world, this is, if you choose to live, if you choose to live as one of the world, if you choose to live in the world's ways, this is what it leads to. Yeah. Kind of figure... There's a message in that that could still be relevant today. Yeah. Okay. Any last comments before we're done? Rod. Uh, question. When, when did the Egyptians take on the Israelites as slaves? You know, when, when Moses and the Yeah, they don't, they don't know. There was a dynasty that came in in between there, the Hyksos, who were so, somewhat Semitic uh, peoples. And, and we do know that it says that there was a, a pharaoh arose who knew not Joseph. That's all we know. There came a, a pharaoh who didn't remember Joseph, and at that point the people were enslaved. So, um, but there's speculation as to which pharaoh that is, but there was, Egypt was conquered by another, an outside dynasty and they may have actually been threatened by by the 
other Semitic people that were in that land. So, um, but that's a question I don't think anybody has a true answer for. It would be speculative. They have to have a deep value to the Egyptians, or why would Pharaoh want to go through all of this? Yeah. Well, they were doing a lot of work. Yeah, they were they were making bricks and building building uh, structures and whatnot. Okay, any other comments before we before we end? All right, let's go ahead and pray.